Hey, good morning, guys. We're so glad that you made it. My name is Randy. Um, I have the privilege of leading here with that awesome guy that was just up here, Billy. Um, and we just want to say thank you. Thanks so much for coming today. We are so glad that you made it in the room. Whether you're double dipping today and this is your second service or you're just getting here for church this morning, I hope your sleep was good. Um, first, obviously, I have to say happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the room, all the mamas waiting, all of the mamas believing, all the mamas who ain't got no kids in their house anymore because they grown. Happy Mother's Day. Um, thank you for all that you do. I want to jump straight in this service. Is that okay? Last service um, was amazing. And I talked a little at the beginning, but I caught myself running around to try and get everything out that the Lord told me to say. So this service, I'm going to jump right in. Is that cool? Awesome. Okay. Well, will you open your Bibles to Genesis 24? Genesis 24 verses 1 through 6 is what we're going to be reading out of. Genesis is right after the table of contents. So right up there at the beginning, fam, if you need help finding that book. It's Genesis right at the top. And when you're ready, say ready. If you need me to wait, say wait. All right, we're good. Let's jump in right here, right at verse one. It says, now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. They really wanted to make sure we knew he was really old. It says, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his house, who had, char oh, who had charge of all things? Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughter of Canaanites among whom I dwell. But go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son, Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then see your son to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. Can we pray? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you're gonna to speak to the people in the room. You've hand selected who needs to be in this space for whatever it is, the words that will be coming from my mouth. God, I ask that you would use me, that today wouldn't just be another checklist. It wouldn't just be another thing we do because Sunday is Sunday. It would be a moment where our hearts are penetrated and truth is sown that we would bear the fruit of truth and health and honesty. So we thank you, we love you, we yield to you today in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for making me sound super holy for the last time until August. See, Billy says we're not sad, but I'm a little sad. I'm a lot of excited, but I'm a little sad. Um, no, but today's message, I really wanna to talk to you on the idea of the sacred search the sacred search. We're going to talk about all kinds of relationships today. But when it comes to this context of scripture, we have a few different characters. We have Abraham, um, which many of you know, Abraham waited a really long time with his wife, Sarah, for their son, um, who is Isaac. They longed and waited many, many years. And at one point, God finally talked to him and his wife and said, I'm going to send you a son. And the Bible also reiterated that he was old at that time. So I can't imagine how old he is at this time. But that is the father. Then you have the son, Isaac, who again is Abraham's son. And so he, he, this is the son that he took up to the mountain and almost sacrificed because the Lord told him to sacrifice him. And then you also have the servant, his name is Eleazar in this story. And what we see is that Abraham is trying to set up who his son is gonna marry. This was very normal in the time and the customs to look for who would be a good partner for your child because your child was gonna get your lineage. They were gonna get your inheritance. inheritance. They were gonna get basically everything that you had worked your whole life for. That was what was gonna be a on the receiving end of staying or finding a spouse. And Abraham was very detailed 
in his selection. He was looking at all the small little things. He said, do this and don't do that. Bring them from here, but don't bring them from there. If you want this, you can't have this. And he was putting this, this, these details together in order to find the right person for his son. And when I think about you know, sacred search or finding for the person. When I think about when I dated Billy and when we were dating each other, I started to look into details. You're going to learn a little bit more about our relationship today, but believe it or not, Billy and I were together for about five or six months and then we broke up. Yeah, it was very awkward. And then we got back together, obviously, but there was a big long chunk of time where we weren't together and it was super weird because like I was leading worship and he was the youth pastor and we like had to see each other, but we like weren't together and it was just super awk. And I remember coming back around and it was towards the end of the year, we were literally almost apart for like a whole year and we built our friendship and we became like normal again. Cause in the beginning I was like super bitter because he broke up with me in a Chipotle and I never wanted to go to Chipotle again, but it's fine. We go back now. We've been healed. Um, but I remember like us having this nasty breakup and for the first few months we like didn't talk to each other at all. And then we became really, really good friends. And we like actually were friends, which just like an extra pointer, like definitely be friends with who you're with because you're going to have to be with them like all the time. So like if you're with your friend, it's a lot easier. Just, just, that's just a nugget. Okay. And I remember we built a friendship and all this stuff. And a few months later he comes around and he did the whole thing. I'm still in love with you. I was wrong. I wanted to be with you my whole life. God was, you know, rebuked me, all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Of course you were going to be with me. Duh. That was how the conversation went. And then he asked me out on a date, like an official date. Like, will you go and sit down and all this stuff? And I said, sure, I'll go on a date with you. And we talked for like hours, right? Ever, anybody have that moment? Maybe if you're married, you remember like those conversations you would have that were like six hours long on the phone and you'd fall asleep on this or you would be messaging and you fall asleep with the phone in your hand and it was cute. That was this long conversation. I'm pretty sure we went to Five Guys because I like refused to go to Chipotle because I don't want to be broken up with again. Um, and I remember we went to Five Guys and sit down and we're talking and it was like long. I mean, to the point where the restaurant closed and we were just sitting outside. We talked about all kinds of things. He talked about beyond our breakup, he talked about other things, like what his vision was for his life, where he's going to go now, how he's in a different place, how I'm in a different place, which words are cute, but they're cute. Like you could sound real good, but you, I, my questions were like, are you going to stick around this time? Cause you left last time. And I'm rightful for asking those questions. Cause you show me that that's what you could do. And I started searching within what he was saying and trying to line it up with his actions. <clears throat> But I also spent some time searching within myself. Am I prepared for this? Am I going to hang over his head that he left at one point? Is he going to leave again? Am I going to search within me what is prepared and what is also unprepared for this season of actually being back with him? Because we knew if we were going to get back together, we were going to be together. Like we weren't going to do the whole back and forth. We weren't going to do the on and off or the you go this and you go. It was like, if we're doing this, we're doing this. And I had to search within myself and ask if I'm ready. And what we see in this text is Abraham caring about the details, kind of like when I was caring about the details when Billy and I were getting back together. He was really looking at the fine tuning. And when it comes to this relationship series, I think we have to realize that you and I were made for relationship. And I don't just mean a significant other, but I mean friendship. We were made for community. We were made to be doing life with people. Genesis 1 makes it clear that we are made for relationship with God. God made Adam and he was in the garden and he spent his time, of course, tending to the garden, but literally just in a relationship with God. Talking says that he walked in the cool of the day with him. Like imagine walking in the garden with him, like you were just chilling. His whole essence of existence was caring for the creation and being with the creator. 
We were made for relationship with him. You also see that we were made for relationship with each other in Genesis 2. The only reason woman was created is so that we would have relationship. And I'm not talking about just marriage. I'm talking about even platonic relationship. We were made to have friends. Doing it alone is really lonely and scary and depressive and sometimes easier, but not always healthier, right? Jordan Peterson says, if you're alone all the time, you will drift in the direction of your greatest weakness. So some of us, we have just drifted so far to our greatest weaknesses because being around people means you have to deal with your greatest weakness, Being around people that actually love you means dealing with the things you don't want to deal with. And maybe your friendships are super easy because they probably don't have any confrontation because they probably don't deal with the things and the blind spots in your life. So yeah, your friendships are easy, but you're the same that you were 10 years ago. Sure, you have a lot of friends, but not a lot of people that actually know you because you're cool with saying where you're at. And I think when it comes to this idea of relationship, there is this challenge that when God put us in relationship with people and with him, there is this requirement that comes after a certain length of time, after a certain level of trust where change just starts to happen. I've had so many friendships where I thought, oh, we're just chilling, we're good. And three months later, we're like deep in the trenches, like working through each other's issues. And it's like, man, you can't help but when you have honest, real friendships to see growth happen, right? And so I wanna talk to you today about the four relationships that God has entrusted us with. And the first one is friendship. And I'm just going to give you some thoughts and kind of tie it into this story. But I think God gifts us with this beautiful thing called friends. I have my husband who genuinely is like my best friend. We talk about all kinds of things, but we also stay up to like three in the morning laughing while trying to keep my daughter asleep and not wake her up. Like as we're laughing at the oldest episode of Friends that came out in 1997. Like it's great. I have my best friend there, but I also have a lot of other friends. And I have learned through the years how wildly different my life is because I just got around some good friends. Like, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You may have heard that before, but like, show me who you hang out with and I could tell you where where you're gonna be in a few years. Like, I think we like to think in the idea that I can save all my friends, but it's much easier to pull somebody down into a hole than it is to pull somebody out. Like, it is a lot, a lot easier. There's a story in scripture where someone gets thrown into the well. It takes one person to throw them in, but it takes 40 to take them out. Like that's very real with friendship. I look back at the seasons of my life where I grew the most and it was when I had people around me that were like the realest of the real. And you know what's cute is we like to call ourselves like, oh, I'm a real one. You ain't tell the truth. Oh, I'm a real one. Well, how come you let me go run and make a fool of myself like two months ago with that girl? Like you're not a real one if you ain't saying real things. Real ones does not mean you speak your mind. Real, a real one means you speak the truth. And sometimes when we speak our mind, that's not truth, that's your feeling. And real friends speak truth. And I found myself in a growth spurts when people around me were truth speakers, not just realists. And the Proverbs says in Proverbs 13, 20, it says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I think we make friendships complicated and the Bible is really clear. And this is what Solomon says. He says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. So if you don't have wise people around you, you're probably not gonna be, thank you. Thank you for paying attention. If you have wise people around you, you're going to be. If you don't have wise people around you, you're not going to be. If you have wise people around you, you're going to be. Thank you. Wake up. Wake up, church. There's this truth that who, whatever is around you, is gonna, it's going to eventually replicate itself within you. And 
there is truth in finding wise people. Like I don't want to be the smartest one in my circle. I'm in the wrong circle if I'm the smartest one because I want people around me that are going to pull something out of me, that are going to challenge me. And I think what's, what's interesting about having wise people, because when we come to friends, it's always about, oh, I want more friends, right? Or like, let's, la- let's add more people. But the hard question is, is who doesn't belong there? And there is a truth to this that there are friendships that are seasonal, that don't, that don't need to be in your next season. You want to go up, you want to go out, God's calling you to something. Not everybody's going to go with you. We see that in many stories and times in scriptures. There are miracles that happen that Jesus sends people out of the room because they don't have the faith that it requires to see the miracle take place. Some of, you need, some of us in the room need to send people out of the room because God wants to do a miracle, but the faith for the people around you don't match the faith of what God wants to do in you. Yeah, it's time to send some people out the room. And we see it in the life of Jesus. Jesus had different groups. He had the multitude. We see that all the time in scripture where it says, oh, the multitudes followed. He went to the multitudes. The mul- he spoke to the multitudes. So a large group of people. To me, that's our whole community. We have the multitudes. People know, and I'll just speak personally, people know gospel, so they know Billy and I. That's multitudes. Know them, say hi to them on the street, what's up, hey y'all, whatever, all that stuff. Then he also had the 72. Some of you are like, what, he had 72? Yes, he did have 72. Matthew said, or Luke says in Luke 10, that they chose 72 and sent them out in pairs to go to different lands and countries to basically spread the word, to be the missionaries. He picked 72 of them. Still hand-selected, still in a group, but not as small. Then he had the 12, which for me, that's my small group. To me, y'all, everybody in the room that comes at any service, I may not have a chance to talk to you, but you're 72. Y'all are chosen. We have the same vision. We have the same mind. We love Jesus. We're going to spend some time on a Sunday. Some of us are already there. Some of us are on our way. But y'all are the 72. Then he had the 12, which that's his group. That's small group. You're not in a small group? Get in a small group. I don't care where. If it's at gospel, great. If it's not, great. Get in one. That 12 does something. You see the value of a smaller group when you see the disciples of Jesus. But then he had one step closer. He had the three. He had the ones he was closest to. He would take them up with him to pray. He would talk to them confidently, in in confidence. He would have these deeper interactions. And I have pastors and close friends that I keep really tight, that I can cry with, I can scream with, I could yell with, uh, I can laugh with, I could do all the things. The group got smaller and it's wise to know who belongs in what group. Not everybody has to be your friend. Not everybody has to know what's going on, but someone does. Not everybody do you have to shout your business to. Not everybody do you have to hear correction from, but somebody needs to be able to do that. And that was the wisdom that Jesus had. He grew in groups. And I think when we come to friendships, we come to this verse that everybody knows. You see it on bumper stickers, on journals, on Bibles, on notebooks, on all kinds of stuff. And it's um, Proverbs 27. It says, iron sharpens iron, and so we sharpen one another. You guys ever heard that scripture? As iron sharpens iron, so we sharpen one another. One another. What does that mean? That like two knives, anybody? Okay, look, this is going to be embarrassing, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I didn't know that you had to sharpen your knives. So I'm like trying to cut a tomato and it turns into like squash like in a few seconds because I didn't know you had to sharpen your knives. But like literally three or four swipes on that knife sharpener and I was slicing through it like it was butter. It's kind of like that in situations in life. The more you sharpen yourself with your friends, your situations, your problems, your pains, your worries, your anxiety, you kind of just slip right through them because you've been sharpened well enough by people around you to get through the stuff that's in front of you. Yeah, that's healthy friendship. And I think that's true with all relationships. All of my relationships, I want to be sharpened with. I want to sharpen someone. I want you to walk away sharper than you were when you were with me. Like, I want you to go into the world and be better than you were when you, before you came. 
That's the goal of, of my life is when anybody comes around me. I hope my daughter is better when she leaves my house. I hope my husband is better when he leaves in the morning after he spent time with me. My friends are better. That's the goal. But I will tell you truth that it takes searching to get there. We've got to be willing to search out the people that are healthy and unhealthy. We've got to search within ourselves what is functional and what is dysfunctional in our lives. What are dysfunctional traits we bring to friendships and how do we work those out? How do we get those out? David says, search me, oh God. Not search the people around me that I'm complaining about. Not search my friend who keeps gossiping. Not search my this. Search me. Why am I around people that gossip? Why do I put myself in situations that are uncomfortable? How come I let FOMO get ahead of me and put myself in bad situations? Search me. And oftentimes in friendships, we want to put everybody else's eyes on, you know, you want to put God, look at them. God, what about that? What about that? And God's like, no, I want to search you. And I think there are some basic things when it comes to <clears throat> healthy friendships that we ought to look for. And I recall starting a friendship when I was probably, I don't know, 13 or 14 years old. And I um, had no clue where this friendship was going. We were in the same church and kind of one of those friendships where like, you know, you're at church every week and your parents don't really give you an option. So it's like, we the only ones that rolling out. So we're friends. Like, I see you every week. We ain't got no choice. You're going to be my friend. And so as I kind of, we kind of got a little bit older, we started to say, we're going to go to every like summer camp. We're going to go to all the youth nights. We're going to do all the volunteering. We're going to do all this stuff together. We made the decision. We were 14 years old. We were going to be little Jesus freaks. And um, we didn't know what that looked like. And we didn't know what that meant, but we knew we wanted to be good friends. And so we did all the stuff together. And it was around my sophomore year of high school, this friend, this, this person who had become literally like my best friend, um, like my security blanket, she moved like two hours away. And I was like, you know, this wasn't the time where like everybody had cell phones and stuff. I had like, my minutes costed me. My text was 90 cents. I didn't have no chance to be like, hey, what's up? Put everything in one and don't text me again because it's gonna cost money. And so I, I like lost my friend. And I remember though, those years being so vital, having somebody that was willing to sharpen. And I didn't know what that friendship was for and 10 years passed. And I'm like, didn't really think much of it. Of course I missed her in those, those years, but it wasn't anything that I sought after. And I didn't understand what God was doing or why he even made us friends to just take her away anyway. Like, God, why would you bring her to me if, you know, we're not even gonna be friends later. Now I just miss her. Now I just have grief because I didn't have my friend anymore. And I was confused. Can I tell you 10 years later, that this friend walked back into my life and she's actually sitting in the room back there. Her name is Brianna. And we came back together after 10 years of friendship and we're here today. Can you, can you show that picture, Jermaine? This is us when we were 14 and 13. And this is us now, you guys probably see us on Sundays leading worship together, but healthy friends build healthy people and healthy people build healthy communities and healthy communities change a community. You don't know what the value of your friendship is, but knowing that you have somebody that sharpens iron with you will develop something that you don't even know. You don't even see. Like, sure, we could have been the girls that go to parties in high school together and did this and did that, but we never did that together. We knew that there was something on our lives that was different, so we just weren't going to do it. And it was hard and it was uncomfortable, but I had to crucify that desire within me with someone to get to something better than what everybody else was doing already. Matthew 16, it says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. The way that you think is good, you got to give it up. Take up your cross and follow me. There's another transla translation that says you must crucify your own desires. 
And I think it's unique that he used the words crucifixion because a crucifixion was a long, extended, painful, nasty death. Those desires that Brie and I had as high school girls who wanted to go to parties, we had to crucify that every Saturday. Every weekend that came, we had to make the decision that it has to die. It's not staying alive. She wanted to go out one weekend and I was like, no, you're not going. We're not going. I'm, I'm no, you can't go. Then the next weekend I wanted to go. You know what my friends did? No, you're not going. You can't go. I'm not letting you go. And I would get so mad and she would get so mad. But we already knew that that was just the pain of sharpening. That was the uncomfortableness of the metal crushing against the metal to pull out something within us. We have to get people around us that will help you crucify your natural tendencies when you want to keep them alive. There is something that scares the devil when there's healthy friends together. It makes him uncomfortable when you got people around you that are challenging the way that you used to live for the way that God's calling you to. I think there are some basic things you can look at in friendship and ask yourself if you have them. Do the people around you want better for you? Do they wanna see you win? Does your growth intimidate them? Do you get insecure when you see people's growth and it's not yours? Like these are questions, this is a searching. You gotta ask these questions. We're talking about a sacred search. Like Abraham, he was on a sacred search for his son. You have to ask yourself, do the people around you, do they want better for you or do they want you to stay where you are? Because if you stay where you are, I have company. But if you grow and I don't, I'm lonely. So some people don't want you to grow. Some people want you to keep picking up the phone every Saturday night. Some people want you to go out on a Friday. Some people want you to get back to the normal. Like Abraham said, no, don't take him back there. Stay right here. You have to have people around you that want to push you. And then you have to have people, and you got to ask yourself this, are the people around me, do they want me to be healthy instead of just being happy? That's a hard one. Where you got people around you that they're like, cool, you're happy, but like the decision that made you happy right now is going to come bite you in the butt in three months. So I don't need you to be healthy, happy. I need you to be healthy. That was what people around me were really starting to pull out of me. And then people that encourage you, yeah, like, doing a good job, you're awesome, you're great, you look good, I like your outfit, yeah. But also people that encourage you to fulfill your destiny. Like I can get somebody to tell me my outfit's cool and like I'm nice, but I don't have a lot of people that are gonna tell me, no, you gotta fulfill the calling that God has on your life. That's, that's what we need. So you gotta ask yourself those kind of questions. And I remember when Bree and I came back together and <clears throat> you know, 27, 28, both of us, and we set a new expectation for our friendship, like right off the bat. This is what our friendship's gonna be about. This is what we're gonna be about. And, and I had to, I remember a time where I was rebuilding friendships and I literally had to go back to all my friends and like repent. And some of them weren't Christian. So like, what are you doing? Why are you apologizing? You didn't do anything wrong. And it's like, no, I did. I did do something wrong. And it may not seem like it's wrong to you, but it was wrong to me that I like let you just live your life or that you just let me, whatever it was. And we set an expectation of our new friendship. Because it was great when we were younger, but we're completely different people with different life experiences at this point that we had to set a new standard of what our friendship would be. And so I think when it comes to the idea of friendship, you got to search for that within them and within yourself. The next relationships that I think the Lord trusts us with is dating. So you have dating before marriage, right? And then you have dating while you're married. Billy and I are going to date for the rest of our lives now. We're going to go on dates. We're going to hang out with each other. But I want to talk about the dating before marriage. And a lot of times when we come into this conversation, uh, everybody talks about the things like, oh, well, in Christian dating, you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do this and you have to do this and you have to do that. And sure, you can look at it like a bunch of rules or you can look at it like directions. 
So you want the picture on the box, but then you want to get mad that the directions tell you what to do? That's what this is. Billy and I, people are like flabbergasted when we tell them that we waited till marriage to have sex. Very real, but it's true because we wanted the picture on the box. So we did whatever the direction said, no matter how hard it was, no matter how uncomfortable it was, no matter how many times we had to tell people we felt tempted, no matter how many times we had to repent of things and thoughts that we had, we wanted the picture on the box. So we had to follow the directions on the inside. And when it comes to dating, you can look at it as rules if you'd like, or you can look at it as a map. Your, your perspective will be the determining factor of how you enjoy or don't enjoy your dating time with your significant other. Um, 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? I, I want to explain what unequally yoked means. So back in the day, they used to yoke animals together to go out into the field and work. So it would be like an oxen or whatever, and it would be two of them. And they had to pair them of equal strength and ability. And if you were mispaired and were sent out into the fields, sometimes the farmers would come back and there would be this huge hole in the ground and one oxen standing up top and one down in the bottom within the ground. And the reason that that was, was because if the one, in, if, if I have one person here or animal and me here, and this one is stronger and this one's not, I'm going to try to move, but because you move faster and we're linked together at the neck, you're going to start, this secondary ox is going to start going in circles. So in relationships, sometimes that's what we do. The, this other person is moving very slowly. They're moving, but the other one is moving faster. So then you have circles and you're kind of wondering, why am I going in circles? Why is this pattern still happening? How come I'm still here? How come we don't get any further? How come I've been engaged for 10 years, but still ain't married? How come I've been dating and no one's proposed to me? Because you're unequally yoked. You're going in circles and in circles and in circles and in circles and in circles again, because one has a different ability than the other. And it makes it a little uncomfortable that it's quite true that circles and patterns happen because we are unequally yoked. Again, this is not a rule. This is a direction. And, and I, I use this analogy in the first service. If you want to be the conductor of the New York Philharmonic, there is a list of things that are required in order to get there. They're not rules. You don't have to be the conductor of the Philharmonic, you can work at Circle K. But if you desire to have this end goal in mind, you will do the required things prior in order to get to that place. You don't have to perform at an orchestra. You don't have to practice on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. You don't have to pick your instrument up again. You don't have to come to church. You don't have to find a Christian. You don't have to wait till marriage. But if you want the final picture, you're going to do what it takes to get there. There are things and prerequisites that are required. And what happens with unequally yoked is you find people that lower their standard for a temporary desire. What we see in this story of Abraham is he is not going to lower his standard. The verse says in Genesis 24, 5 and 6, it says, The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. Like Abraham's like, I've already been delivered from there. We've already been delivered from where we came. Do not take him back. Abraham is saying, Forget the whole marriage thing. Don't get married. Don't get a lady. 
Do not bring her back. Don't, whatever it takes, I don't care. I'm not lowering my standard for a result. I'm waiting. Abraham's like, I'm willing to wait. I'm not, nope, we're not lowering the standard. And I think what happens is we get so um, lackadaisical or we get so impatient that we tend to just lower our standard. We tend to kind of just, okay, fine, I'll settle for this or I'll settle for that, I'll settle for this. And we lower our, lower our standard and what we see with Abraham and he's like, no, just throw the whole thing out the window. We just won't do it. Which again is this radical idea of following Jesus. But then we wonder why we have dysfunctional families and homes and we were raised by dysfunctional parents and we have dysfunctional siblings because we have people that have lowered the standard too low. And as somebody who was raised in this on and on again, off again, healthy, dysfunctional home, what I learned was there were just standards that were brought too low over and over again. You want to see revival, bring your standard up. And, and I think in today's dating world, what we have is a list of requirements for a partner that we don't even meet ourselves. The great search is to find, do you meet the list of requirements you have for the person walking into your life? That sacred search is God search me. Do I have everything it takes to be what I want someone else to be to me? You want them to be radically in love with Jesus? Are you radically in love with Jesus? Not just because you pray and lift your hands, but you're healthy. You react well. You treat me kindly. Like, do we meet the list of requirements that we have for other people in the realm of dating? That true question is, search me, oh God. And I think when, when we came into this topic, even as I prepared, I was like, okay, the great search is gonna be like how you find a good partner. And God was like, no, the great search is how do you become the right partner? How do you become the right friend? How do you become the right spouse? How do you become the right parent? And there's a searching to find the blueprint for that life. So we have friendship, we have dating. The third relationship I feel like the Lord trusts us with is our marriage. And when it comes to this topic, there's a scripture I'm gonna share with you that I'm sure you all know, but I, I, I truly believe if you wanna see revival in an area, you wanna see people in love with Jesus, you wanna you know, see God take over and you don't want this generation to give in, be given away in a, to hell in a handbasket, all that stuff like that, it starts in families, it starts in marriages. And believe it or not, some of you may disagree with me and that's okay. But I believe that your marriage, your relationship with your significant other, your spouse is far more important than the relationship you have with your children. What? Yeah, it's hard, but it's real. Because your children will be gone in 18 years. Your spouse won't be, if you're lucky, if you do it right. Like after your kids move out, you still gotta have, you gotta live with that person still. And not only in that sense, but also like how the, the, the level of health you have in your marriage determines the level of health your children will have in theirs. You want revival? Be healthy together, make healthy kids together, send healthy kids out, have more healthy marriages, have more healthy kids. That's how we change a generation is by working on ourselves and working on our marriages and dealing with the stuff that we got in between. There's a truth to that, that we, I think, overlook it. Oh, I want revival. I want this. I want success. I want a career. I want more opportunities. And God's like, y'all, your first ministry is the person sitting right next to you and you ain't served them in a few years. And I want to say this briefly too, men, um, can I speak to you this morning? If you ain't already listening, too bad you're in the room. I'm just kidding. On days like today, Mother's Day, Father's Day, don't worry, men, I'll give the talk to the women when Father's Day rolls around. 
But on days like today, like Mother's Day, you don't just love her well because she has raised your kids. You love her well because your kids are gonna learn one day how to love their wife well, to love the mother of their children well. Like, I think we get so caught up, and, and Billy and I talked about it this last year, because I'm a new mom, and you know, Atlas is two years old, and we graduated my mom to grandparents' day. So my mom will still get a gift on Mother's Day, and I'll, she'll still get a card, and I'm still gonna post about her, and I'm still gonna call her, and I'm gonna love her, but like, Mother's Day is for the mom that ain't slept in like two years, dog. I have not slept a peep at night. I wake up every night, I clean vomit, I clean toilets, I clean diapers, I wash clothes over and over and over and over and socks just never stop disappearing. I'm doing that right now. I'm in the thick of it. You know what my mom did last night? Sleep. You know what I didn't do? Sleep. I'm in it, y'all, like I am in it. So moms, if you have adult kids, we will still love you, we will still bless you, we will still give you presents, all the things. But I want time away from my kid like 30 minutes. Somebody let me just watch a show without hearing mama from the other room. So men, if you are with your significant other and they have a little, and you have little kids that are just even still in your house, I'm gonna give you a few suggestions on how to celebrate her today. This is last minute. If you ain't got no ideas, you ain't got no money, that's okay. We don't need money. Very few times do women require money, they just require effort. There's your secret token, okay? Here we'll unlock all of your wildest dreams, men. We don't need excellence, we need effort. I don't need a Rolls Royce to pick me up and take me to a front row show. I need an hour uninterrupted sent to Burger King to get a four for four and watch a show with no one else around, okay? There's a suggestion. Send her to get to the dollar menu at McDonald's and let her sit in the parking lot by herself. Do not call her, do not text her. If she was alone, she would have to figure it out anyway. It's your turn for 60 minutes today. Hear me, son, okay? Clay, the women said, the women are like, the women who don't wanna say anything, they're like, amen. <laughs> Whatever it is, simple. You know what else would be cute? And I gave these ideas to first service because I ain't playing. You could literally write her a little letter and go pick some wildflowers and I bet you in 20 years, she'll still have the letter. I bet you she'll have those dried flowers tucked into that letter somewhere. You know what else you could do? That's free, like where I'm, where I'm from, we can't go pick flowers, everything's dead right now. Palm Springs, you want a palm tree leaf? What you want? Like I ain't got much. You know what else you could do is you can make a playlist. You can make a Spotify playlist, YouTube playlist, Amazon music playlist, all free. Put a list of songs together that remind you of her. You can't say words, put it in a playlist and say, I love you, text it to her. Happy Mother's Day, this made me think of you. I can't tell you, like, your women would cry. They would sob, weep at the thought that you took two minutes to think of her while she has spent the last extended time with you thinking about you thinking about your kids, thinking about the way that she's gonna take care of you, what it takes to do this, to do that, to put this here, to do, like, it's just effort, it's not excellence. In marriage, you, wanna, you want your wives to submit to you, be someone worth submitting to. Everybody likes to talk about Ephesians, and, and I have that scripture here, Ephesians 5.22, it says, wives submit yourself to your own husbands as you do the Lord, for the husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which the Savior, of which he is the savior. I, will, I, I, I love submitting to my husband because he's worth submitting to. He knows where we're going. He knows what we're doing. His life is so upright with the Lord that me submitting to him feels like I'm submitting to God because he lives in oneness with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. 
with Jesus. Like be, be somebody as a leader of your household that is worth submitting to. And I, I don't mean like be controlling and you get to tell her what to do. It means you stand between the circumstances and situations of the world and you stand at the front door so no one gets to your family. I, I tell people it sounds glamorous that we get to submit to our husbands, but that means you take the hit. That means you gotta hear from God. That means you gotta tell me where we're going. That means you gotta have vision for our kids. That means you need to know what the Lord is saying in this season. That's who I wanna submit to. Somebody who knows the ins and outs of God. I want my husband to be a friend of God that when I submit to you, I already know you picked up the phone with him. You already heard from him. It doesn't feel like I'm submitting to a man. It feels like I'm submitting to a messenger when I submit to my husband. It feels like I'm submitting to somebody who got line one on the phone. Of course I'll submit to you. You've been in your prayer closet. Of course I'll submit to you. You've been patient. Of course I'll submit to you. You've been kind and gentle. You got the fruit of the spirit. Of course I'll submit to my husband. But you know what's unique is one scripture before that we all like to forget about. Ephesians 5.21, it says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And then it goes on to tell us to submit to our husbands. But first it tells us to submit to one another, to lean in to one another. There is this submission that Billy and I both have with each other. And I think submission, we kind of get in the idea of like control and you do what I say. But submission is like, he knows I have a need today on Mother's Day. And so do all of the other moms in the room. But he submits to my need to be loved. He submits to his desire, like the desire that he has to go do his own thing and take care of his mom and take care of his grandma or the Gigi's or the Yaya's or the Nana's, like all those desires he has, he first submits to the need his wife has before he goes to submit to anything else. And, and that's, that's the challenge. But you know what's beautiful about the relationship of marriage? And I just can't get over it. I, I really do get amazed. Francis Chan, he says this, he says, God chooses marriage as a billboard by which he could shout his message. Because it says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So when people look at a marriage, what they see, what they should see, is how deeply Jesus loves his church. How, how absolutely in love he is with his people, with his followers, with his children, God chose marriage to be that billboard. As Christ loves the church, so husbands should love their wives. Like when people see my husband and I, and when people see our marriage, I have stopped asking the question, what could he do for me? More, what can we do for the kingdom? And oftentimes in marriage, we're like, what can you do for me? Well, how come you can't do this for me and you do that for me? And it's more this idea that we get to do something together for something bigger than both of us. We get to shape human beings. We get to form a family. We get to serve the kingdom. We get to build a community. Like marriage is so much bigger than just what you can get out of it, more than what you were designed to do with one another. And if we think that our marriage is so short-lived that it's just you and me and whatever we want and us against the world, like I get that concept, but it's like us for the kingdom. Billy and I settled within our hearts a year into our marriage. Our marriage is not about us. The bonus is I really like him. I think he's good looking. That's extra. That's the decoration, baby. But like the real thing 
The real thing that we made the commitment to do is give our marriage away to God and say, however you want to use us. It's not for me anymore. I have butterflies when I see him, but my God, we are called to something higher than that. Like our marriage was called to other marriages. Our marriage was called to other cities and communities and towns. And yes, we like each other and we really fond of each other, but my God, there was so much more that we were called to than just each other. That idea of a radical marriage is wild. But there's this search that you have to begin to look for with your spouse in order to get there. There's this deep longing where we have to search within ourselves and find within ourselves the things that have to go and the things that have to be added into our marriages in order to get there. And again, I'm telling you, friends, we want to see revival like it starts in marriage. It starts in being healthy. And even if you've not been healthy to this point, there is nothing more radical than changing and transforming in front of your adult children. Like maybe your marriage hasn't been good thus far, but like you want a real testimony, you want to spark revival, change the way you argue with your spouse. Change the way you talk to your spouse. Open your Bible in front of your kids. Make the decision that you're going to recommit. It's wild what transformation in front of your children will do. So he trusts us with friends. He trusts us with seasons of dating. He trusts us with marriage. And I'm going to close right here. And he trusts us with family. He trusts us with family. And I don't know what your family situations look like, whether you're in great relationship with all your kids or you are estranged or you have a crazy family, you have great parents, you don't have great parents, wherever you find yourself, I think we can all be honest in the concept of family that there is an epidemic of loneliness. And it is very real. And I don't know if you guys have experienced it. Maybe you've experienced it in pieces where you've had seasons where you've just felt super alone or you have had times where you currently just feel alone. You got a lot of acquaintances, but you don't have friends. You know a lot of people, but you don't have family. Like loneliness is very real. And loneliness is loud, as quiet as it is. As quiet as loneliness is, it can get really loud because we start to believe truths that don't exist. We start to believe lies about us that are not true. And the, the solution that God gives to loneliness is found in Psalm 68. It says, God sets the lonely or the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. The solution to loneliness was family. And, and whatever you don't have in your physical family, I'm telling you, not a word of lie. God will supply in your spiritual family. There was a season where my parents were not in church with me. They left our home church. And no, I didn't have my sisters. I didn't have my parents. And God slowly as I started to search, he said, here's your spiritual mom. Here's your spiritual dad. Here's your spiritual sisters. Here, here's some friends. Here's some, here's some people that are gonna call you up, but also call you out. Like he supplied in my spiritual family what I didn't have in my natural family. Family was the greatest gift that God in, in, encapsulated us in. And he's like, I don't care what your family looks like outside of the building. I can supply it in here. And I don't know about y'all how you feel in any of these realms, in any of these spaces or places, in these relationships. But if you feel lonely today and you're like, I don't have any of these relationships. I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't have, a, I don't have any of this, but I want it. You're in the right place. 
You're in the greatest place that you could be. You're in the place where family is provided, where love is abundant and grace shows up every day. There is something unique when we open our heart to family again. I remember in those very first few months, I, I, I didn't really want to be around someone very close when my family was gone. And I had to search within myself like Abraham was searching for Isaac's wife. I had to ask God, why? Why don't I want friends? And it's a hard question because we'd all rather avoid it. Forget that thing. Let's leave it in the corner, put the rug over it. I had to search within myself. Why don't I want friends again? Why don't I want people around? How come I don't open up? I had to ask real questions because there was real solutions on the other side of them. And, and, and as we search and as we find, I think the greatest relationship that you and I will explore is not friends and it's not in dating and it's not in marriage and it's not even in family. It's the relationship that we have with Jesus. That is the greatest exploration. He is like this giant mountain and I'm from Palm Springs. And so they call it a bowl. We live in this bowl and there's mountains everywhere. Literally like three, you can see these giant mountains and from far, they look small. But the closer you get to the mountain, the more proximity you have, you realize how vast and large these mountains are, how many different kinds of terrains and what kind of um, ecosystems are even within the mountains. There's springs and then there's desert. There's trees of great lush and then there's brush. There's so much vastness to these giant mountains that we find ourselves. And it's like when you get closer to God, there's more of him to explore. So no matter how long you've been saved, how long you've been going to church, what you've done before, how many years you've been in, how passionate you find yourself today, guess what? There's more. There's more mountaintops to find and also down drops and valleys to walk through. There's more of him, more of him that's worth exploring. And you find in this story, a father who was willing to search for the right thing for his child. But he enlisted a helper. Eleazar, his servant, literally means helper. Kind of like the Holy Spirit. And what the Father, I think, is doing in your life today is he's enlisted the Holy Spirit to help you find those people. But he's saying, don't go back. Don't go back again. I delivered you from that land. Abraham worked too hard to get out of there to give his son exactly where he came from. Some of y'all choosing healthy relationships today, you will break the generational curse your fathers and mothers have enlisted you in. Will you enlist a helper this time? Will you enlist the Holy Spirit? He tells Eleazar, put your hand under my thigh. Some of y'all probably like, what in the world? Because this muscle right here is in the top three strongest muscles of your whole body. What, what he's saying to Eleazar is link yourself with the greatest muscle you've been given and tell me you're gonna use that. Use your greatest weapon. When you search in friendships, when you're dating your wife again, because maybe you stopped dating, when you choose a significant other, when you get into a marriage, when you find a family, will you enlist your greatest weapon, the helper? Will you enlist the Holy Spirit so that you don't have to do it alone, so that you don't 
to continue the cycle that was already been done before you and it's done before them and your grandpa did it and your great grandpa did it and your great great grandpa did it. Will you make the decision that it won't be the same anymore, that you're gonna have different relationships this time? Can we choose to start revival within our own spaces? Church, I wanna tell you whether you've stopped searching because you got tired or you searched and you searched too long, can I invite you to a recommitment to search? Whether you're recommitting to search for new friends, some of you are gonna go back to those friends you had and you're gonna have a repentive moment. I believe it, I'm speaking, I'm prophesying it over you right now. Some of you have been dating and you're gonna start your dating over. You're gonna make the decision today that you're not gonna date the way you used to. Some of you are in marriages and today is the day you make the decision to, to be a different kind of couple. And some of you are gonna go home today and you're gonna have conversations with your kids and you're gonna tell them we're doing it different this time. Like it's not gonna be the same again. We used to do it this way. And I know mom and dad said that that was okay, but that's not okay anymore. This is how we're gonna do it. Can we pray? Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is here. We feel him in the room. We feel the helper in the room. And he says, I will go with you if you invite me. Like your word says, come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Father, we come to you. Will you give rest to those who are tired, who have searched for a long time and haven't found friends, who have searched for a long time and haven't found a significant other, who have searched even within their marriage and haven't found the spouse that you told them they would have. Father, we ask that you would give them endurance to continue the search. But more than anything, Father, would you give them a conviction to search for you? to look through the vastness of your detailed essence. Would they search and learn to know you? Would they come to you when they're heavy laden? Father, and would you give them rest for their souls? We repent, God, for the times that we picked up, where we laid at your feet, where we stopped the search when you told us to search, where we gave in to the places we shouldn't have given in, where we said yes to dating when we shouldn't have said yes to dating, when we said yes to a friendship when we shouldn't have said yes to a friendship, when we picked up a phone on a Friday night when we know we should have declined that phone call. We have repent, Holy Spirit, for the times in marriages where we overlooked our spouses, God, and when we treated our children in an ill way, we lay that down, God, and we say, create in me a new heart hungry to search, disciplined and convicted like Abraham was, to not give away his miracle, to not lower his standard, would the bar be raised after today? We thank you, Jesus. We speak life over these people in commitment to what you've called them to. In Jesus' name, amen.